Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have a special guest from, let's see, you're in the Philippines currently, but you're generally based in Singapore. We've got Malik Paddock with us. Go ahead, Malik. (laughs) I I, I practiced a couple of times, but uh, (laughs) Malik, go ahead and tell us a little bit about why you are where you are, what you've been doing. I know you have quite a rich history of working in big companies, and now you've been consulting and traveling and speaking and writing. So go ahead and tell us all about it. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, my uh, most recent project was actually um, when I took a sabbatical last year, um, I ended up writing a book. The original plan was actually to travel around the world with the family when I took a sabbatical. And one by one, uh, we had to cancel all those trips. And uh, I thought this was the perfect time to go through my bucket list and see what else I can do while I cannot travel. And there it was, uh, writing a book. So what um, a I, what a way to make lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's how I felt. Um, and this book has been marinating in my head for a very long time, at least for the last three years, um, for two reasons. You know, one, as a CEO of a you know large BPO company based out of the Philippines. I was starting to see three very powerful trends that were uh, gaining momentum, gaining strength, and yet they were under the radar. You know, the people were not paying a lot of attention to. Um, and in 2016, my uh, daughter was born. Uh, my first daughter was born, Clara, um, and that really changed my perspective on life and my relationship with the future. You know, mm-hmm. before I would only think about the future when I'm putting together a five-year sales forecast or the business expansion plan. But suddenly I started to think about the future as to what kind of future she's going to inherit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what kind of skills and talents she would need to uh, thrive in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and so I started paying attention to some of the trends that were taking place around us that gave me the insight as to where the world is going to. So uh, the book that I ended up writing last year is called uh, Future Proof Your Career and Your Company, uh, How to Flourish in an Era of Artificial Intelligence, Digital Natives, and the Gig Economy. Would you be willing to tell me what you mean by digital natives? Because I know digital nomads. Yeah. Well, uh, the digital natives, I'm using that term loosely uh to reflect what we see with the gen xers and also the younger millennials um because they all have very unique set of skills that uh, as a gen xer i didn't have Um, i did not grow up with a smartphone in my hand when i was Mm -hmm. 11 years old Mm -hmm. i did not see smartphone you know, advancing itself, upgrading itself every two years. I did not see the internet connectivity increasing tenfold between, uh, you know, 2009 to 2019. They saw all of that. They saw the Siri becoming uh, better, faster, and smarter. So they lived in a world where technology was basically uh, changing and upgrading itself on a regular basis. And they expected that from the world around them. So they are mm. called digital natives because uh, they speak digital natively. All of us had to actually learn. Digital yeah. is my second language. It's not my first language. But for my daughter, who is a four-year-old, uh, and she is not even a Gen Xer, she belongs to the Gen Alpha, you know, oh, the right. Alpha generation. Um, 
I call her, you know, the Gen TikTok because that's what she does all day long. <laughs> and well, uh, again, she's she's going to grow up in a different world. Right. I, you know, we experienced this last night. We were driving to our, we think that we might have our kids in school this year, uh, but we might change our mind tomorrow uh, when they're supposed to go back because of the pandemic that continues to rage on. Um, we, when I was a kid, my parents bought an encyclopedia. I was about 11 years old. And anytime I wanted to learn anything about anything, I would go first to the encyclopedia and, you know, find the volume. And it was like taking up this much space on the wall. Um, My children just say, Alexa, and they'll just ask whatever question they have. And we were in the car, we were driving and we don't have um, Google or Siri activated by voice on our phones. We don't want her listening to us all the time. Um, and my daughter was like, Siri, Alexa, Google, you know, she was trying to ask a question and we were like, none of this activated right now. You're going to have to like <laughs> ask one of us or That's we can right. look it up. But yeah. yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like they are so accustomed to just being able to speak out their question and yes. instantly have the answer. Absolutely. So they're a different breed. And something else to keep in mind is that, you know, by 2030, two thirds of the global workforce will be made up of Gen Xers and Millennials. Mm-hmm. And it's very important number because uh, today Gen X has become the largest generation in the world with 2.47 billion people. Mm. Uh, millennials come very close to them, 2.4 billion people. So when you do the math, when they are the largest segment of our population and they're going to become the major force at the work as well as in the marketplace, we may, we may need to start paying attention to them because uh, so far we keep ignoring them or discarding them because they are just the intern or the headphone wearing, soya latte drinking weirdos that show up in a workplace. Well, you know, these people are going to be sitting in a position of power and influence and we better, uh, you know, get used to that. So that's a very influential trend that will change the way work gets done. I get that. And then, you know, I don't want to make video games the scapegoat, but the way that our television and our games, you know, these kids have a shorter attention span than we do. And it's going to be really interesting when they're all our boss. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, you are absolutely right. You know, we grew up when my parents would say, hey, here is the book entertain yourself and you would read the book over the next three, four days and finish it. Mm-hmm. Or you'll watch a movie for two hours and you'll you get excited when your parents would say, you know what, we are going to go for a movie today. And I'm like, hey, I can't imagine how my daughter is going to be in any of that setting of writing, reading a book or watching a whole movie because she cannot even finish a 15 second TikTok video. Before it's done, she scrolls it up. So we are, you know, we are dealing with a generation that has zero patience. Mm -hmm. You know, either you capture their attention in the very first milliseconds, not even (laughs) three seconds, four seconds. Instantly, they know whether they're going to watch this entire video or not. And uh, that that is going to grow with them, you know, in uh, other parts of their lives. You know, I I, uh, have been thinking a lot about resumes lately. And um, 
I've been considering putting myself back into the workforce um, in a more formal capacity rather than just freelancing um, or being independent contractor work, which was what I've been doing for three and a half years. My job was displaced by artificial intelligence. Um, Voice recognition technology displaced me. I worked Uh for Mayo Clinic for 17 years as a medical transcriptionist. And, you know, the the computer was so much faster than the rest of us. Um, And then eventually they just made the doctor's do their own editing because we didn't have to sit there working like little, um, you know, typists all day long. They, they just did it themselves with the, with the computer. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's really affected, you know, me and I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, wow, um, you are going to live in a completely different world. My nine-year-old is spending, spending a lot of time learning coding. And I'm like, continue that. That's a good thing. You know, it's not just playing with computers. Now this is your future. Yes. Yes. And, 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 you know, instead of just consuming, creating, right? Yeah. Either you are right. a consumer or you are a creator. And, and there are times mm-hmm. when we are both, you know, at times we are a uh, creator in our lives and there are times we are consuming media or mm-hmm. consuming uh, different items. Uh, and I think the goal for the future is, can you bring your inherent human creativity to the workplace? So, uh, you you actually brought up an excellent point about artificial intelligence. That's one of the three trends that I talk about in the book. Yeah. Uh, that according to a recent study done by McKinsey, up to 375 million jobs are at risk of displacement over the next 10 years by 2030. Mm. 375 million jobs globally, right? So one of the questions that I get asked all the time, April, when I'm doing these seminars or podcasts is, uh, how do I know whether my job is at risk or not? And there are three ways to look at it, right? So one, uh, if you're doing something that is boring, repetitive, and predictable, then, uh, you know, (laughs) you're at risk. Yeah. I mean, if you're flipping burgers, uh, somebody Mm -hmm. else is going to be doing that and it's not going to be a human, it's going to be a machine. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you're checking in guests at a hotel, somebody else is going to do that. Uh, if you're creating reports, the same report week after week after week, or if you're reading the same report week after week after week, somebody else will be able to do that. The second mm. thing to keep in mind is that if what you do has a very uh, defined objective and there is a large set of historical data you can train AI algorithm with, then AI can do your job. So, you know, recently Google announced that their AI algorithm did a better job reading mammograms than human beings. Why? Because there is a defined objective to look for tumors and to decide whether it's benign or malignant. Uh, And there is a large set of historical data. There are so many mammograms, millions and millions Mm -hmm. of that from the past. To compare. They were able to feed, yeah, exactly, to AI algorithm and it learned very quickly. And the third thing is if what you do is just basic cognitive skill, it requires only basic cognitive skills like learning, reasoning, predicting, then AI can do your job. So, you know, Netflix, for example, how does Netflix come up with the recommendations for your movies or for your TV serials, right? Based on the past behavior, you know, based on your viewing history. It's not humans who are watching you and spying on you. It's an AI algorithm that's looking at your viewing history and -hmm. coming up with what else would April like to watch on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So other people who have watched this also watch that. That's how Amazon gives its recommendations. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. So the, all of those things are actually, they used to be done in the past by humans, but now all of that is done by artificial intelligence. So 
if you belong to any of these three categories, then I think you need to pay attention to what else can you upskill with? What else can you reskill with? And the key thing that I, the key theme in the book that I write, uh, that I, I published recently, April, is that focus on the inherent human advantages that you have. What are some of the inherent human advantages we have? Our creativity, you know, AI still cannot create something out of nothing. We can look at a sunset and be inspired to do a masterpiece in comes, when it comes to painting or write a poem or create a musical note. AI cannot do that. AI cannot look at a sunset and come up with a, a painting, a masterpiece. Only humans have that ability to do that. Only humans have the ability to look at the world holistically. Imagine if AI was the president or a prime minister of a country during the COVID-19 situation. Mm -hmm. It will be completely at lost because it, yeah. it doesn't know how to deal with something holistically. Uncharted territory is not its friend. Ex unexpected, right? Uh, unexpected, yeah. unprecedented. Things that have not happened. AI doesn't know how to deal with those things. Uh, only humans have the ability to inspire and lead others, right? Can you imagine at this point, I mean, and maybe 50 years from now, 100 years from now, maybe there will be an AI that would be able to inspire and lead people. But today we have that inherent ability to touch people's hearts with our leadership skills, with our inspiration skills. I feel like what you said a few moments ago about if your job is predictable, repetitive, you know, basic cognitive skills and these things, you might have made a few people panic a little bit uh -huh. about their jobs. So what mm -hmm. types of things are you seeing are the future as far as when you said people can reskill or upskill? Where do you see that growth happening right now? So uh, one of the unique skill that companies would need going forward is people bringing their unique set of skills and set of experiences and finding intersections. So what I mean by that is, let me give you an example of Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. When somebody asked me, what would I want my daughter to be over the next 15 years, 20 years when she grows up, my parents would say, oh, I want Malik to be a doctor or engineer because it was easy at that time growing up in India, either you become a doctor or engineer. <laughs> it's not that easy anymore. Yeah. So I want them, to, I always say, I want them to be like Leonardo da Vinci. Why? Because Leonardo da Vinci was not just a painter. He was an architect. He was Inventor. a master in a variety of fields. And right. the reason why he created so much advantage for the humanity, the reason why he added so much value to our lives is because he was able to see what happens at the intersection of these very disparate fields. You know, Steve Jobs, when he announced iPad 2 in 2011, I believe, he had a big screen behind him. And the screen had an intersection with one street sign saying technology and the other one saying humanities. And he said, hmm. Apple makes people's hearts sing because it works at the intersection of technology and humanities. So what can people do going forward is come up with as many different experiences as possible. If you are analytical, 
and you've been told that, oh, you can only be good in math, go and improve your creative skills. If you are a creative person, work on your analytical skills. The people who would thrive in the next 10, 20 years are the ones who are firing their entire brain. You know, they are mm -hmm. going on all cylinders, left brain, right brain, creative brain, analytical brain, because it's those intersections that are magical. And the reason why they're magical is because AI cannot get to those intersections yet. AI only knows how to read a manogram, how to beat you in chess, but mm -hmm. AI cannot do both, right? So yeah. if, you can, if you can come up with something that only you have the ability to do as a human, which is to find these intersections between a variety of fields, then you are you know, gonna be thriving in this arena. I mean, I always tell people that it's basically, don't become a one-trick pony. Don't become yeah. a one-trick pony. Because yeah. if you're a one-trick pony, if you're, the only thing you can do is become a paralegal, AI can do that job today. Mm. There are thousands of paralegals who are at risk right now, losing their jobs to AI. Because what paralegals tend to do, AI can do it very easily. But if you are a multi-trick pony, where you have multiple tricks in your bag, then AI cannot touch you. When Mayo Clinic offered me, um, they, it wasn't a severance package, it was a separation package because it was voluntary. I looked around and most of the people that I worked with, 95% of them maybe, only had done this one job for their whole life and yeah. only had the one year of education it took to do that job. Yeah. And I took myself out because I said, I have degrees, you know, I have, you know, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And even if I'm not really good at piano or pottery or photography or, and I don't really have, you know, I, at that point, I didn't have experience with being an adult educator, even though that's what my master's was in. I said, just the fact that I have these degrees has opened up so many more doors for me. Yeah. I almost feel like I should remove myself so that they can try to keep their job a little bit longer yeah. to have a chance. You know, I have waited tables. I have substitute taught. I have done, a, I have worked in with youth and traveled. And just the fact that I had these, this variety of experience. Now I know they used to say, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none. And yeah. that makes you look like you're, you know, indecisive or something. Mm -hmm. No, I have built up multiple skills over these years that have given me the ability to pivot. And that's what you're talking yes. about is like, if you have more than one talent or skill that you've trained yourself in, you can, when times get hard, go down a different track where everyone else Absolutely. is just stuck and they stop. Yeah. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs, when he was attending school, he went to take classes in calligraphy. Ah. Then he lived in India in an ashram working on his spirituality. Really? I mean, when you look at his life, the reason why he became so successful at Apple is because he brought all of those unique experiences to life. Why do we love Apple products? Because not just because technically they are good, but there is something about the user interface. It is so easy to work with. It is so intuitive. Uh, it's very intuitive. That's right. Yeah. So he was able to tap into both his technical skills as well as his marketing skills, his creative skills.
and his experience in calligraphy. So you are absolutely right. The fact that you have had all these experiences, they're going to set you apart from someone who just had done one thing their whole life. Yeah. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your work from home situation, if you're willing? Yes, of course. I know you mentioned to me before we started recording that you are not exactly where you planned on being right now. Well, I mean, um, you know, so I, I said goodbye to my corporate job in March of 2020, just oh, in wow. time. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I, it was not planned that way. I did not have any <laughs> foresight that the world is going to go upside down. Right. I have been planning that transition with my successor for almost a year. Um, but the goal was to actually go for a sabbatical, travel around the world, and then start doing some uh, angel investment, uh, potentially start a company. And all of those things could be done uh, working from home. And mm -hmm. even if there was no uh, COVID-19 situation, I probably would have done the same thing because I wanted to spend some time with my kids, um, mm -hmm. be around when they are young and, uh, yeah. you know, they are impressionable uh, versus wait until they are 15 years old and I have no connection with them. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing right now is uh, working just fine um, and it's not going to be any different even if the COVID-19 situation changes. Um, I plan okay. to kind of have this uh, lifestyle that I have created where I'm able to connect with my investment uh, companies as an angel investment. I'm about to start a business here in the Philippines, um, uh, specifically helping companies hire future-ready workforce, just what we were talking about earlier. And um, my entire business model is actually my whole team, my whole company will be working from home. Oh, good. Uh, that, that's the whole model we have because we don't need... Uh, the world is going in a direction where everything is virtual, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the companies who are sitting on massive assets are the ones who are struggling whenever there is a situation like COVID-19 because they have to worry about their overhead costs. They have to worry oh. about, uh, yeah. Okay, so that makes you a little bit more future-proof again. Yeah, I mean, I have to, you know, drink my own Kool-Aid a bit and, uh, <laughs> and walk my talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So are you in the middle of building this or is it already in place? It's uh, we are. There are a couple of um, government approvals that you need to start a recruiting or a placement agency here in the Philippines. Okay. So we are in the process of doing that. But I have uh, already identified the people that I would like to launch the business with. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they are also getting ready. We are all green, gearing for it. I'm in a process of setting up the website. Um, and uh, process of setting up all the employment contracts, uh, the client contracts, the proposals that we'll be sending out to the clients. So all of that is done, but you don't need an office space for that. You can do all of that um, through Zoom, working with different people. Does the mail come to your home? Um, well, I think a lot of it now is, uh, that's another thing we have done is uh, we have gone fully digital. So we are trying to essentially do everything through Google Docs. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, even the documents we send to our clients are um, done through Google Docs. They can sign it digitally. I can sign it mm -hmm. digitally. Uh, so we want to be paperless. We want to be virtual. We want to be online. Okay. And uh, because we, we are going to tell people that, hey, that's where you should be going to. And mm -hmm. if you are telling them 
that's where they're going to. We, you know, we cannot be going back to the 18th century. So if you were uh, working corporate up until March of 2020, were you in yeah. an office at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, just to give you an idea, I was uh, running one of the largest business process outsourcing companies here in the Philippines. Uh, we had over uh, 12,000 employees, uh, most of them in the Philippines, but some in the U.S. as well as in Nicaragua. Mm. Uh, and it was growing. And uh, all these people come to our contact centers, you know, these large office spaces where we'll set up call centers uh, who are supporting U.S. or Australian or, um, you know, clients from around the world. So office was a centerpiece of what we did. But all of that has changed also. The entire BPO industry has changed here in the Philippines. Uh, uh, almost 50% of the workforce for the industry is working from home. Uh, they right. were able to figure that out. Are you saying VPO or BPO? B, uh, sorry, B, BPO, Business Process Outsourcing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how was that for you? Yeah, I know you had planned on traveling and that was, I'm sure, a disappointment because your whole plan changed. And then you yep. sat down to write a book and did you have a desk in your home? Um, no, I, you know, I, I thought, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking, okay, I'm going to write a book, so I must have all these things in place. And honestly, I ended up writing my entire book sitting on a sofa with my legs on the table in front <laughs> of me. Oh, that wow, was yeah. just like, yeah, I, I had, that was the most comfortable way to write the book. I was in my zone and there was this one space. As soon as I sit down there, it almost like was a trigger to me that, okay, Malik, you're about to now focus on this. So that space became very sacred to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was no need for me to actually, you know, have a table and a chair and, you know, a computer and all that. It was just a laptop. How did your neck and shoulders and arms do with that situation? Were you comfortable, like literally comfortable? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, people told me that, uh, you know, when you're writing a book, uh, don't write for more than two hours. But I okay. wanted to get it done. I didn't know when the COVID-19 is going to end because then I was going to start traveling. So I'm like, right. no, I'm going to go at it. So within four months, I wrote a 200-page book. And then wow. the remaining two months, I was basically, you know, editing it and making it... Uh, um, more succinct and uh, what I thought was uh, a better version of it. Uh, so I ended up writing five, six hours a day. I mean, I would write wow. for two hours early in the morning, then I would play with my kids and then come back to it in the afternoon. And then in the evening before I go to bed, I'll do the research for the next day. Uh, and so that, you know, I have fresh ideas when I wake up in the morning and kind of go with it. Uh, but no issues. And then just to kind of keep myself sane, I was doing yoga at home. And I have been doing yeah. yoga for many years now. And That'll that uh, kind of kept my body in check. Yeah. I think that's my next step is to implement a yoga routine because I do stretches. I have had some injuries and I'm always very concerned about mm -hmm. other people who uh, might have habits that, you know, might lead them into the kind of path I've gone down. Um, and I always am like, make sure you're, I also do some of my writing on the couch. Um, yeah. When I even type my show notes for these, you know, it takes me about 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes sometimes to like, remember what we talked about and add a few things that, you know, to fill out the bio that people send me um, to put it in my own words. And it takes a little while. And I do often take my computer down to the couch and do exactly what you said, put your feet up on the table. 
Um, I'm short. And so, and our table is kind of tall. So I use a footstool. Yep. Footstool. Yeah. Um, to be more comfortable, but, uh, yeah, as long as you're comfortable and it doesn't turn into pain, <laughs> yeah. go for it if it's working. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it sounds like you're getting up, you're moving, you're stretching, and that's part of your routine. And you've got little children to play with and get exactly. down on the floor and move around. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a good good balance of physical activities. And then we'll take them to the park until the park was open. And then, you know, even park closed because of the <laughs> lockdown. And we had to then walk around in the house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What part of the Philippines are you in? Uh, in Metro Manila. Okay. Okay, yeah. so right there. So which is the, the biggest city. It's like mm -hmm. 13 million people. Um, yeah. So, so your internet, is it pretty secure and fast? Or does it have any uh, ups and downs? I, I live in a metro area smaller than yours, but we still have internet problems sometimes. You know, we do here in the beginning, uh, because I think uh, it was a shock to the telco system here in the country. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, okay. Because their pipes were designed in a, such a way that during the day, all the traffic is going to the office spaces. Mm. And during the night, the, they would turn on the traffic going to people's homes because that's when they're watching Netflix. But right. then what happened with the COVID-19 is the entire day, everybody's at home. Mm -hmm. So uh, they had a hard time you know, changing that. So first couple of months were very difficult. Um, mm -hmm. We had some outages or very slow uh, connectivity issue. Oh yeah. But now it's super fast and I actually don't connect Wi-Fi. I actually hardwire the Wi-Fi connector into my laptop and yeah, uh, I it's use doing quite well. The Ethernet to the computer Ethernet, I use, yep. I have to have a, a docking station to make it work, but it makes a big difference, especially oh, yeah. for video conferencing calls. Um, yep. I was I was recording. I'm going to probably re-record it so it hasn't been published yet. You know, just talking a little bit about you know, putting your best foot forward if you're going to do, say, a job interview and not just a podcast interview. And yeah. that lag, that that even that millisecond amount of, you know, disconnect between the conversation yeah. can really kind of make you make you feel awkward and uncomfortable yeah. and you're interrupting each other and talking over each other. Yeah. And if you put that wire into your computer, if possible, it makes all the difference. I oh, think huge difference. I, I mean, and it's, it's more secure. It's more secure, and uh, to your point, I mean, uh, no issues whatsoever with uh, video calls, and mm -hmm. we do a lot of that nowadays. So it's nice yeah. to at least see people without them breaking or having pixelized yeah. faces. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure, it makes all the difference. Well, uh, so want to talk about your uh, frustration with working from home and your challenges you faced? Well, I think um, in the beginning it it was a bit of a challenge because you're used to you know going to the office that's your mindset right when you are driving towards the office you're already getting into the mindset of going to work and then you have yeah. a bunch of people who are working with you mm -hmm. uh, so obviously working from home you don't have that support system but i knew that because even before covid 19 my goal was actually to shift from corporate world to becoming an entrepreneur mm -hmm. or becoming an angel investment, uh, an angel investor. And when you do those things, so those are solitary pursuits. So I wouldn't say that my challenge was related to working from home. My challenge actually was related to my choice in life, which was to leave the corporate world behind and start something on my own 
which required me to be very self-actualized, um, mm-hmm. bring out all the inspiration from me. There aren't any people around me who are, you know, cheering me up. Uh, it's all me. I'm the my biggest cheerleader <laughs> and right. running at it. At the same time, obviously, you know, making sure that I'm available uh, for everything that's happening at home as well. So I think that was the biggest challenge. But now, having done this for 15, 16 months, I would not go back to corporate world. I would not want to go back to the office environment uh, yeah. because I love the freedom that this lifestyle has provided to me. Yeah. Well, and if, um, you know, if you're talking about people who work from home, I have mentioned this a few times in the past, just that there are so many different things it can look like. You yeah. can be working from home for yourself or for someone else. Yeah. And if you're working for someone else, are you on their hours or your hours? That's are right. you on their terms or your terms? You know, who has, who's the boss really, you know? That's right. Um, so if you want to work from home, you need to think about, am I going to have the freedom that I expect? When, pe- when people knew I worked for Mayo Clinic, they thought that I was just working from some, you know, coffee shop and doing my job and, you know, watching my kids. And there were rules, you know, I could not watch my kids while I was working. I could not go to the coffee shop. I had to punch in and punch out and tell them when I was going to take my lunch. There was very rigid. Yep. So as you're setting up an environment where you're going to be working with a virtual staff, um, I guess, what are you planning? Are you planning on giving them some of the flexibility that you're enjoying or are they going to have to cover the phones at certain hours and clock in and clock out? Well, um, that's a good question. It all depends on when they are most effective with the job that they're doing. Uh, So Mm -hmm. my philosophy is we have to not think about what works for us, but what works with our clients. So when are the clients working in our case, right? Our clients are basically the HR heads or the CEOs of companies in the Philippines. Typically they work during the daytime. So, Mm -hmm. you know, their their work hours are nine to five, nine to six. Uh, So as long as employees are able to get their job done, Mm -hmm. providing the support these clients need during those hours, it doesn't really matter to me whether, you know, they take two hour lunch at home or they take their dogs for a walk during the lunch hour. It's up to them as long as their main work is done. So uh, Uh the flexibility is going to be given to them, just like I appreciate the flexibility that I have. I want them to have that. So there is uh, there is no such concept about having a time card or keeping a tab on their system to see <laughs> when they were working and then when oh, they were yeah. not. Because within a month, I would know whether they're putting in the hours and the effort or Getting not. Getting it done or not, yeah. Yeah. All right. Will you have to also support people overseas from you? Will you need to have like a 24-7 staff or is it going to just be in your own time time zone? For now, I think it's on the time zone, uh, but our ultimate goal is to actually expand the operations uh, first in Asia to Singapore and to India, uh, and then eventually to countries like Australia and the US, uh, because we believe that once we create a model on how we can help companies find future ready workforce, then that model can actually can be replicated in different parts of the world as well. And what is the best way to describe someone who is future ready? Someone who is a lifelong learner. Anybody who thinks that their education ended 
when they got their degree is up for a big surprise. But if someone is just curious about the world, is willing to always learn new things, is willing to improve herself, himself with new skills, is going to be thriving in the next uh, 10 to 20 years. You know, there, there, was a, there was a study done and they found out that the half life of a skill has gone down to five years now. Meaning, oh, wow. within five years, your skill that is bringing you money is going to be worth only five, only fifty percent. Hmm. I can see that. Like I'm thinking about some of my past um, jobs, and within five years, almost all of the programs that we use are changing. Um, you, I could not do even when I was doing transcription work within five years. You know, we were typing into a new platform. We were using new technology and you could not do it the old way and survive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's something that we all have to keep in mind. So always keep learning, keep uh, look at the world with the same set of curious eyes that I see in my daughter. You know, that's one thing they inspire me with that uh, for them, everything is just brand new and they if they look at the ants, and I write about that in the book, that uh, when my daughter looked at the ants and she asked me, like, what are these ants doing? And I rolled my eyes. She spent an hour just watching what the ants were doing. That kind of a curiosity about something we don't know is going to be so powerful going forward. This is the same daughter that can't watch TikTok for 15 seconds. Yeah, but she she enjoyed uh, hanging out with the uh, something the fascinated her. So maybe she's oh, yeah. uh, she's going to become a you know a wildlife expert or. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I think we sometimes have to remove ourselves and just get out into nature too, and to remember yeah. how to rest and enjoy and explore and appreciate you know what we have out there. Yeah. Um, Malik, you, I thought that you were in Singapore when we got into the call and I found sure. out that you weren't. Are you going to relocate? That was the plan. Um, and we would have actually moved the entire family to Singapore last June. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, Singapore has a very strict quarantine rules. And, uh, you know, I would be stuck with my two young kids, four-year-old and two-year-old in a hotel room for 14 days. They don't give mm-hmm. any exceptions to the kids. Um, so I decided not to take that route at this point. Uh, but when things settle down, I think our goal is to uh, make a move and uh, uh, you know see what that part of the world has to offer to us. Right. And you're hoping to build part of your team there too then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The goal is to expand the business to the Singapore market as well. Well, uh, we've talked a little bit about how to future-proof and how to be ready to reskill and upskill. Uh, what other advice do you have for people uh, related to some of the the things that you talk about in the future of work uh, for people who want to work from home, especially? Well, I think um, there are a few things that I write in the book. There are five things people can do to future-proof their careers, and then the five things uh, leaders can do to future-proof their companies. And just to briefly talk about what people can do to future-proof their careers, I mean, we talked about uh, being human, right? the title of that chapter is the future is AI, be a human. Very uh, contradictory, paradoxical, but very powerful <laughs> that right. if the future is AI, 
how you can thrive in the world is become a human. And it sounds kind of trite that, hey, we are already humans. What do you mean by becoming a human? It means unleashing our fuel human potential, uh, unleashing everything we have inherent advantage with and doing it better than what AI can do. So that's one. The second can you give thing an I write example? About, um, so I write about uh, creativity, right? Uh, I write, uh, we talked about finding intersections. Um, I talked about being like Leonardo da Vinci, uh, not becoming a one-trick pony, but becoming a multi-trick pony. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the th themes that I talk about in the book uh, when it comes to being a human, because those things uh, today, the AI is not able to do. The oh. second thing I talk about is um, the future is change, be a catalyst. Meaning, you know, we are surrounded by change every day now. And uh, the pace of change has actually accelerated now. And what that means is, instead of being a passive recipient of change, instead of being a passive observer of change, not only accept the change, but I think people who will go on to thrive in the future are the ones who are going to become the catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, oh my God, I see this changing happening. I'm not going to just accept it. I want to actually go and take the flag in my hand and run and tell the people, this is where the world is going and this is how we need to move. Well, Even yeah. the companies are looking for those, right? You know, Jeff Bezos was once asked, what kind of people are you looking for when you're promoting or when you're hiring? And he said, the number one quality I look for is uh, people who are mavericks, people who are gonna come and shake things up. They're gonna rock the boat a bit. We need more of that going forward. It so feels that's... like so counterintuitive to how children are trained. Like in schools, it's like, you know, conform, follow the rules. And here these companies are looking for the people who are ready to like bend, you know, what has been known as, you know, right and good. No, and you are absolutely right. Um, that's why I think uh, we also need to look at how we are educating, how we are, uh, how we have to change the future of education. Yeah. Right. Um, in my podcast, I uh, I had a guest. Uh, she is the CEO of one of the uh, startups in the education arena called Greenfig, and okay. uh, she mentioned that the whole world of education has to change in order to prepare our young kids. I mean, imagine spending four years in a college that doesn't prepare you for a real life job anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and more and more Gen Xers are staying away from going through that four-year degree program because they would rather take a you know, a micro course with Udacity or Coursera or find an employer who is going to invest in them to say, okay, we'll spend two years teaching you coding or we'll spend six months teaching you this specific technical skills and we'll continue to upscale you and rescale you. That's where the world is going. So if, if the universities don't change, if the education system doesn't change, I think we'll have a bigger problem. Yeah. Wow. I guess I think about myself as Gen X, but I'm like 42 years old. So. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, and as far as looking forward for your, um, for your family, are there any other things that you are just in looking forward to enjoying with this new lifestyle? Like what has it allowed you to do that you couldn't have done otherwise? 
Well, I'm spending a lot more time uh, with my kids and we have a routine, you know, so I, I try to get them when I am at my most optimal. You know, typically what happens is we end up going to kids when we are at the end of our day after a long day of work uh, mm -hmm. or after we have spent hours stuck in traffic and we are, you know, complaining and bitching about it uh, mm -hmm. while we are and getting angry about it. And then we come mm -hmm. home and we bring that energy. So mm -hmm. I typically spend my time right after my yoga, which where I am centered, I am full of positive energy and I will be with them during that time. Uh, and then in the evening, I spend some time with them after I go for a long walk, uh, sometimes by myself, sometimes with my wife. And, you know, when you're walking five, 10 kilometers, it really clears your head and mm. all the energy that's stuck in you it kind of releases and you start getting clarity in your life. So when I come back, then I want to spend some time with them just before they go to bed. And when you're working during the day, are you in the same space as they are or are they off at school or um, do you close the door to get into an office? Um, they are in the same house. Uh, right now there are no schools uh, in person. So they are hanging out in the same place. And I do run into them, you know, so when I have lunch, they are hanging out in the kitchen. I have a lunch with them, but that's not my prime time with them. And that's not the time that I look forward to. That's the time when I'm mm. with them and they, they are eating, I'm eating, we are having a conversation, we are having fun, but that's not the time I'm able to give too much or a lot to them, right? Um, but when I'm working, I'm in my room and uh, they know that when I'm in the room, they don't come and bug me about it at that time because okay. they have other things going on uh, during the day. And how many hours are you getting done in a week? Um, well, typically, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, right now it changes. So uh, as, as we get to a point where we get our approvals for the business and we are about to launch it, uh, it's increasing in terms of the number of hours because I'm, uh, you know, working through a lot of streams, you know, getting the website done, getting the team ready, getting all the legal contracts done, all of that is happening at the same time. Yep. So the number of hours have gone from uh, four hours a day to now probably, you know, around eight hours a day. And um, I would think that will continue probably until we launch. And once I have a team in place who are getting paid to do their thing, then I can probably start uh, taking, uh, you know, doing other things. All right. So your book is available. Can we find it on the web or where can we buy it? Sure. So the book is uh, available on Amazon. Um, if you go to Amazon and you just uh, search for future proof your career and company, or you can also search by my name, Molik Parekh. Mm -hmm. And uh, you will see it. Uh, it was at least for a week on Amazon, one of the best sellers in um, categories. So we yeah. are uh, super excited about it. We'll probably do one more promotion for the book in the next uh, few months. And, you know, if people want to know more about my project, they can also go to my website, molikparek.com, uh, and they can sign up for uh, any email updates that I send out to people who have uh, signed up. So it's M-A-U-L-I-K-P-A-R-E-K-H. That's right. Dot com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we head out? No, hey, this was uh, great fun uh, chatting with you, April. Thank you very much. And I think yeah. uh, you're ahead of your time launching or hosting a podcast about, yes, I work from home, because I honestly believe 
given you know how many people are embracing the freelancing work um, and how different companies are looking at the mixture of people working from the corporate offices versus uh, their home offices, that the future is going to be at home when it comes to work. A lot more of work will be done out of home office versus corporate offices as we look at the next 10 years. So it's almost um, interesting to think about what that would do to the skyline. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there are so many potential repercussions, right? So think about not only the skyline, but think about the political changes. Now, people don't have to live in Manhattan. People don't have to live in New York City. So what are they doing? They are going to suburbs, not even suburbs. They are actually going to smaller towns where they came mm -hmm. from. Typically, big cities are liberal in nature. Mm -hmm. What happens to these people going back to those smaller towns, which are typically conservative in nature? So it not only changes the real estate landscape in a city, but mm -hmm. April, it actually has a potential to completely change how the politics is done, at least in the U.S. Ah, huge in the U.S. I, I'm getting yeah. chills just thinking yeah. about how different that would be. Yeah. So well. <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're on to something. Keep up your uh, great podcast. I think uh, more and more people would come to you and probably listen to your podcast to understand how best to work from home and where it's going in the future. I think our, our goal is just to share the diverse stories that are out there. You know, yeah. when you work from home, it doesn't mean one thing. It can mean what you want it to. Yeah. Honestly, you know, what route do you want to go? Follow that. So, all right, right, Malik, thank you so much. This has been April Malone with Malik Padak, and we thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you, April. Thank you very much.